So we've been on a series that we're calling Made to Endure. And our tagline is, endurance is not just the ability to bear a hard thing, but to turn it into glory. And so we're going to live in such a way that what we believe and what we value and actually goes far beyond just here and now, just our lives. It goes far beyond our life. And so we want to do that. We want to help each other. Last week we talked about, the, the title of the message was Pass This On. Do you remember that? For those of you who are here, pass this on. How do we pass on what we've been entrusted with, what we've learned about God, what we've learned about life, what we've learned about values. How do we pass this on to this next generation? And not just our children, but to the generations around us. You know, there's folks that are here today that maybe are new to the faith, new to what it is to follow Jesus. And there's folks here who have been here for a while, but they're wanting a refresher on what it means to follow Jesus. And then there's others that are just saying, look, it's my turn to help this generation, help them, other people around me, grow up in their faith as well. And so that's what this message is geared towards. And that's what this series, let me just blow up, uh, uh, blow further out, zoom out a little further and just say that's what this whole series is all about. And so today the message that I want to share is how to build a generous generation how to build a generous generation. And again, I want you to listen to this message as a parent, as an adult, if you're a parent of an adult, a parent of a child, just if you're listening to this message, you have someone that you are leading somewhere, somehow, at some level, you're helping other people. And so this is gonna give you some tools to help other people learn how to build a generous generation for you and for others. And so the scripture we're gonna look at today is, again, we, we read this last Sunday, uh, Psalm 112, and we're gonna read verses one through six. So if you have your Bibles, you can feel free to open up your Bibles and check out where Psalms is. If you need to look at the table of contents and find where Psalms is, go ahead and do that. It's okay, we do that here. And I just want to let you know that everything we read is going to be up on the big screen behind me so you can, you can follow along as well with us, okay? So before I read the scripture, I want to tell you a little bit about mi familia. I want to tell you a little bit about my family and the family that I, that I grew up in. And I hope it doesn't bore you. I, I hope it, it's, it's a little bit interesting. The, the family I grew up in, I absolutely loved. Absolutely loved. I loved my family. And we, um, as we grew together, we made some really good uh, financial decisions, and we made some really poor, unwise financial decisions as well. Um, and so some of the financial decisions that we made, uh, and I say we made because sometimes we were allowed to give input into some of these financial decisions. Sometimes we weren't allowed, but we gave input anyway, and so it was up to our, my parents to listen to whether they were going to take on our advice or not, but um, we were sometimes included in the financial decisions. So when I say we, I'm not just saying the royal we, I'm actually saying our family. We would come together and make some decisions together. So some of those financial decisions, they messed up our financial situation really bad. Um, so badly that it put in our entire family in jeopardy. And we were that family. Oh, that's the family that had everything and then not so much. My parents were first generation to the United States, the continental U.S., and started off with nothing. How many of you, when you came here, you started off with nothing? Raise your hands. So I'm not alone. You started off with nothing, right? And so uh, start off with nothing. And so uh, there, you know, 
there was a lot of scarcity in those days for them, but when you compare scarcity to some of the countries that we're from or, or some of the islands or, you know, scarcity in the U.S. is very different from scarcity in a lot of the countries that I've visited before in my life. It's, it's a very different scarcity, but there was still scarcity. Um, my parents, they went to school, they got jobs, they bought a house, and they started acquiring things, and they were doing okay, but we had a family member, a cousin, who um, he had gotten into some trouble, some trouble with the law, and, and because the judge thought that my cousin was a flight risk, they decided to post uh, bail at a really high amount of money, and my family thought it was their duty to help out my cousin, so we posted bond by putting our house as collateral. And so uh, not long after that, my cousin jumped bail, and so my parents had to turn over the property of the house, and, and so we lost the house. And shortly after that, my dad lost his job, and so uh, we were not able to financially recover. And the following months and the years, we lost everything we owned for the following months and years. And we were sued, we were foreclosed on, and the electricity got cut off, the water got cut off, the house was in foreclosure. And at that point, my parents, they had a brand new baby and a toddler and a struggling marriage because how many of you know that finances can just exasperate the, the issues you already have in marriage. Actually, some experts believe that, that financial difficulty is the number one cause of divorce in marriages in North America today. So my parents didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to do. So they just, they, they sought experts at financial institutions. And one of my earliest memories actually growing up is being in offices for hours and hours listening to experts, professionals, uh, advising them on what they should do. And finally, the decision was made to file bankruptcy. And so we were that family, declared bankruptcy. And that was the family that was doing okay, and now, oh yeah, that's the family. So I was born right around that time. And so although I didn't see the major loss of the house, I didn't see the loss of the cars, um, I can remember feeling the effects of all those losses years later with what we could and what we couldn't do with, uh, with the money we had or what we wanted to do. So some people tell me that I was born at the worst possible time. We called it the crash. And, but I see it differently I, uh, because I think I was born at the best time because it was, it was their rebirth. My parents came to Christ during this time and they were growing in their knowledge of Jesus. And one of the passages that we read was that they hung on to as they were having this rebirth was this passage in Psalms. And so we're gonna read this passage of Psalms together. And it says, How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Their children will be successful. Everywhere, an entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy, and their good deeds will last forever. They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. Talking about this series of made to endure, long to remember, will last forever. See, my parents, even though they were going through these financial difficulties, they, they didn't stay down. 
You see, I literally had a front row seat to watching my parents figure out how to handle money, and not just how to handle money, but how to handle money God's way. And because of that, I believe my life and the generations after me have forever been changed. My parents exposed me to people like Larry Burkett and Ron Blue and Austin Pryor, and all these people helped me get connected to a guy named Dave Ramsey. And that's why we do Financial Peace University here in Doral Vineyard, because we, uh, it's impacted me. I, I listen to his radio programs online, and, and it is so inspirational to hear when people call in to, to do their debt-free screams, in case you don't know or you haven't heard about it. Uh, if you haven't heard this, people will call in and, and to the show, and they'll share their journey about how they became completely debt-free. And then at the end of their call, at the top of their lungs, in front of six million listeners, they'll get to, to scream out that they are debt free. And when you hear what you hear in their voices, I believe, is really these chains dropping off of their lives because there's this sense of freedom that comes when you, are, you don't have to owe anyone anything. And so Dave Ramsey actually, uh, he does his radio program live. Uh, so if you tune in online, you can actually see him doing his radio program in his office in Nashville. And I haven't been there, but I've actually seen it, him online doing this. And so I've seen his offices. So when you come into the building uh, where his office is, his studio is off to the right. And there's this big glass. You can watch him with the headphones and the big microphone and his, as he's talking. And uh, across from him, there's the entrance, which they call the Financial Peace Plaza. And then to the left of that is what they call Martha's Place, and it's this little bakery-esque place where there's cappuccinos and coffee and, and, and cookies and, and all this stuff. It's, it looks really nice. And so many people will, will literally drive or fly to all over America. They'll fly to Financial Peace Plaza, this building, just to do their debt-free scream. And, and do it, and they'll do it live in the lobby. And so you see these people, and you learn a little of their financial struggles and their stories, and you'll see, like, I remember one time I was watching it, and there was this couple, this, you know, couple that was older, about six years old. They were sitting at a, a tabletop, kind of like what we have in the lobby, and they were, they had driven uh, there, and they were just waiting to tell their, their, their tell their story and give their financial scream. And then you'll see other people like, you know, uh, a single mom who will drive up from Atlanta and she'll have her 15-year-old and she'll tell her story, you know, about how she became debt-free. But the ones that always get me are the ones where you see young families that come in. And you can see that the family, they, they did everything they, did, they could to get there and, and they put the radio headsets on with the microphone and, and they get ready on their call with Dave Ramsey and, and they get on and they'll say things like, the dad will say, Dave, you know, we, we took out an extra job and I worked nights and I worked weekends to finally pay off our student loans. And, and the wife will chime in and, be, and she'll say, you know, Dave, we gave up our, 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 our beach vacation that we've taken every year for the past five years and, and we took all that money and we finally became, you know, we, we paid off our cars. And so, and then towards the end of the call, you know, Dave will say these magical words. He'll say, okay, count it down. Let's hear your big debt-free scream. And then you watch these parents as they gather up their kids and they bend down, you know, they have the mic and... And, and, and so, you know, the kids are getting ready because they only have one job, right? They've been working eight hours on this car drive 
to do this debt-free scream. So they're ready. They're ready to do this. And then uh, they're, they, they get ready to do it. The father will say, all right, count it down. And, and, you know, you think about these parents that have literally moved mountains. They've made so many sacrifices to change their family tree, their family legacy. The dad will look at their kids. You guys ready? Let's do this. Let's do this. Three, two, one. And in unison, um, this whole family with these little chipmunk voices will start to scream out, we're dead free. And uh, every time I hear those calls, I have to tell you that it does something for me. It does something to me. It inspires me, and it, and it reminds me to look at myself and say, self, man, you've come too far. You can't go back in old ways and old habits, and you've got to draw that proverbial line in the, si- in the sand and say, you know what? Enough is enough. From now on, we're only doing what Scripture says to do with our money. And because of that, my life has been changed, and I, I get so excited. I get so excited uh, for these families and these little boys and these little girls because their life will be altered and that's why we brought our FPU to this class. That's why this, this class to this church. Um, we brought it in the beginning of January because, uh, you know, we offered it in the fall. We're, we're going to offer it again in the fall. And, and you, there's people here that have taken the class, and you can talk to them and, and hear their stories because it's not the end. It's not the magic pill. It's not going to solve all your problems, but it will get you down. It has some biblical concepts that can really help many families, and I believe many families here at Doral Vineyard. And, and we, we, you know, it can help you get through some tough decisions and, and help you break some habits that bad habits that are, are taking you down you know the wrong road and so i, I just I, I love it and so this series of being made to endure includes passing on financial dealings in a way that honors god and so that's why the title of this talk is building a generous generation and so how do we build a, ge- a generous generation so if you're new to this this is for you you guys if you're a parent, this is for you. If you're wanting to be made to endure, this is for you. I got a lot of these pointers. One of, uh, some of this stuff from a guy named Dr. Bob Barnes, and I mentioned him last Sunday. Uh, he is the director of a place called Sheridan House here in South Florida. And he says, we don't want to just raise good kids. We want to raise kids in such a way that they become good adults because we want them to leave and cut the attachment of become and become independent and think for themselves and like the title of my message last Sunday, pass this on. So how do we pull this off? How do we build a generous generation? Well, I know that there's a lot of things that go into this recipe, so there's a lot, but we're going to talk about three. We're going to tackle three today. And so I got this from some experts, and I want to share the first one. If you want looking to be a coach, a mentor, help out, raise a generous generation, the first thing is that you explain to them that it all comes from God. It all comes from God. You explain, you teach, you train, you retrain, you orient them, you repeat, you ingrain into them that it all comes from God. And the verse there, it says, because it says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That means that everything in this big blue planet called Earth is God's. He owns it all. And he just lets us borrow it and the things on it for a very short time. Now, our perspective changes when we get this and we explain this to others. And especially when you teach this truth to children and even the ones that are not yours, it all belongs to God. And he's letting you use it. But you should care for it 
as if it, it's not yours. Now, I love my kids, and I, I believe in them, and I think we live in a very kid-centric culture. And I don't just love my kids. I love children. I don't know if you can tell by the little time we spent here when we invite all the kids to come up. I love children. Uh, now, what I have taught my children is I love you, and I will die for you, but I can also take you out and make another one that looks just like you. Look at your brother, so behave. So I, I believe in that, you know? I, I, I believe in that. I love children, um, but we don't need to worship them, okay? We, we, we've come to this kid-centric culture, and our culture has shifted to where we're worshiping children, and they're precious, and we'll do anything for them, but we can't let the inmates run the asylum, if you know what I mean. So we have to teach them and adults that it's all God, all God's, and he owns it. Because what that does is it, it takes a shift. It takes us off, us off, and our kids off the center stage. We're not the center of the universe. And you know what? That helps this generation become humble, to learn humil humility immediately. Because when God owns it all, it turns out that the axis, axis of the world does not revolve around them. Oh, and what it does is it changes the way you handle money. When you understand that it doesn't belong to you and that it's not yours, I don't know about you, but what you, you change the way. I think you, you are like me. When you start handling money for somebody that you adore, that you love, that you worship, you, you start to handle it even better than you would handle it for yourself. You start to, to look at it a little bit differently. And your kids are exactly the same way. You've got to do this in everyday life. My little three-year-old, Esteban, uh, I'm going to use a lot of little st stories from my family because that's what I got. But my little three-year-old, Esteban, when he's bored, he demands my wife's phone. Now, I've taught him this is not yours, but my wife lets him borrow it, and it's okay. Um, we got to do whatever it takes sometimes to keep him sane, right, and to keep him from yelling. So she used the phone, but he calls his, he calls his mom's phone his phone, <laughs> mine mine, my phone. And so we keep trying to train him and reorient him and tell him, this is, you have nothing. You have nothing. This is not your phone. You didn't pay for this phone. This is not your phone. This is mommy's phone. All right? So it's not yours. This is mommy's phone. And sooner or later, we just keep repeating that and keep reminding him, and he's going to get it. Somehow it's going to sink in. But we have to reinforce it. This idea of ownership that the whole time you're dealing with others, whether it's your child or, or people or others, others' kids, in just the normal flow of, of everyday life, it all belongs to God. And so the first thing that we've got to really make sure that this generation gets is that it all belongs to God. The second thing we need to know if we want to be able to build a generous generation is to teach them to be diligent at work. To be diligent at work. In the book of Proverbs, it says, lazy people want much but get little. But those who work hard, can everybody say work hard? hard. Work hard will prosper. The diligent prosper. You want to teach this generation, others, your kids at work, your, your kids, you, we want to teach them to work. And not only just work, but the idea that money comes from work. Money does not come from mom and dad. It comes from their back pocket. Uh-uh, it comes from work. And so some of you, you may remember that I, I shared once that I used to receive an allowance at one point growing up for a very short amount of time. And then it was cut off. And so I, I started to learn to make money somehow. I had to. And so I, I started a little side business with shining shoes 
and selling candy and selling gum. And so I, I learned how to work, and I learned when you work, you get paid. And you don't work, and guess what? You don't get paid. And so we learned that very early in life. And I love that because allowance seems like it's like you're saying to your children, you're a deficit. You're not able to succeed, so we have to help you. Instead of settling for a handout, instill dignity in them and belief to say, no, you can accomplish something and that you will get rewarded for that. So go do it. And then you learn that there's money attached to that reward as well. And so what we're doing with our kids is, and we're not perfect, Marie and I, but obviously the work you encourage with your kids, it has to be age appropriate, right? When you ask your four-year-old to clean their, their, their room, we know that they're not really cleaning their room. They might pick up one or two toys, but we're coming up after them and we're doing most of the, you know, the work. And that's okay because they're four, but their responsibility should increase the older they get. And when your kids make money, it gives you an opportunity to show them a few things that they can do with it. And it's something that you can watch over them and say, okay, now that you got money, let me help you, teach you how to, you know, use this money in a, in a great way. Now, the first thing the kids are going to learn to do with money is spend it, right? And that's okay. Let them enjoy some of the money that they've earned, but they're going to learn that money is finite. There's an end to money. It doesn't last forever. When it's gone, it's gone. And there's boundaries, right? There are limits with money. And you want to teach your kids that. And they're spending the money they've earned. That's okay. You want you, you, you to teach them to spend it. You also want to teach them to save it. In, in Proverbs 21.20, it says, Precious treasure and oil stay in the home of the wise, but fools swallow them up. Wise people save Foolish people spend everything they make. So we have to teach our kids to save. And when we teach others to save, it teaches work ethic. It teaches patience. It teaches goal setting. It teaches delayed gratification. Instead of getting it right now, it gives them dignity and, and an appreciation and a care for it. Instead of just giving them something, you, they learn to, to, to wait and, and save this money. And lastly, your kids, you want to teach them this, and it's really the first thing you want to do that, do, to teach them, and that is to give. You want to teach them to give some of the money that they've earned. In Scripture, it teaches us this, that what we were made in the image of God, and God is the biggest giver of us all, right? So if we're made in His image and He is a giver, then we were created to be givers as well. And I'm telling you, when kids, even as young as five or six years old, when they take some of the money that they've earned, and not just giving them a dollar in the church parking lot right before they come in, but you let them earn some of this money week after week and month after month and year after year, their little hearts begin to change and they become more and more like Christ because they're, they're living with this open hand mentality, just like the song we were singing with that climb this mountain with our you know hands wide open. They, they live with this open hand mentality. And so teaching your kids the value of work and how to spend and how to save and how to give. It gives them a solid foundation to stand on as they become adults. So as we're building a generous generation, we're going to teach them that it what? Number one, it all comes from where? Help me out. We're going to teach them that it all comes from God. And what's the second one? To be a, what? Diligent at work. And the third one is that we want to teach them that true fulfillment comes from God. True fulfillment comes from God. You see, we live in a very crazy, materialistic culture. Have you noticed that? 
Have you noticed that? It's nuts out there. Our, and our materialism has just run amok and loose in our culture. And I'm not against nice things. I like nice things. I'm against worshiping nice things. Having nice things is fine, but when you spend your life worshiping at the altar of them, then you have a problem with finding fulfillment. Listen to the scripture. The Bible says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. And so when you can teach them where true fulfillment comes from, where does it come from? You've given them the keys to unlock the door that shows a different way to look at life that is foreign to the culture that we live in. And it tells us that we don't, we don't have to worship at the idol of stuff. We don't have to pretend we got to get all this stuff. And I'm not against nice stuff. I love nice stuff. I'm against the worship of it. And fulfillment is an amazing thing. Fulfilled people, they don't always have the best of everything. But you know what they do? They make the best of everything. How many of you are like me? That you had a three-year-old and you gave him a gift at Christmas time and when you turned your, your head and you looked back, what did you find them playing with? The wrapping and the box, the wrapping paper and the box. And me being the materialistic man, I said, no, 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 no. It's the toy. You're supposed to forget that. It's the toy. And I made a mistake. I'm over here trying to teach them to play with it. When it's, it's, you make whatever it is in front of you, it makes you happy. You're, you're, it's not about what that toy is. It's about feeling happy and successful and, 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 and enjoying what's in front of you. I heard about a psychological study about these two boys. And they put them in these two rooms, and the, the rooms were, were glass encased, right? They were, they were bordered with glass, and they filled these two rooms with manure, right? And the one kid was a pessimist, and they filled it up with manure, and a few hours later, they found the kid sitting in a corner and just this pile of manure in front of him, and he was crying. They, why are you crying? And the pessimist is like, what do you think? You put me in a room full of manure. That's why I'm crying. It stinks in here. <laughs> they went to the other kid's room who was an optimist and they asked him the question what are you doing and they found him on top of the pile of manure and he was throwing it up in the air like this and they're like what are you doing and he's like with all this manure there's got to be a pony in here somewhere <laughs> your sense of fulfillment depends a lot on your view of things it's your perspective of things now i'm not positive how you can teach fulfillment. I'm not positive, but I know what you can do is there's one element of it, and that's gratefulness. If we can teach the next generation how to be grateful in order that, it, hey, you got to say thank you. It starts with that, with please, please, and thank you, thank you, and you mean it. And speaking of which, I just want to take this time and say thank you to Doral Vineyard for being, did I say that? I did, right? But thank you for letting me be up here and my family and receiving our family. Thank you for letting us be here today. We love this, and we're so grateful to be here today. So I'm glad to be here with you guys, and yes, and I'm, I'm also grateful for Pastor Pastor Ralph and, and Pastor Kathy for everything they've done. And this was their baby for so long. And I, in so many ways, I think it still is their baby when I talk to them. They love this place. And I want to say thank, thank you to them and be grateful for everything they did. And Pastor Denville and Pastor Krista, who also put in their life, sweat, blood, and tears, like many of you guys who were here while this started. So thank you. Gratitude is a huge element of fulfillment. And I'll tell you what, the opposite of gratitude is you're, you're, you're not grateful. You're not grateful for things. You think you are do them. It's this sense of entitlement. You feel entitled. 
And entitled people are arrogant people. There's an arrogance with entitlement. I'm owed this because I'm walking on this earth. There's this sense of entitlement, and that, that can start as early as childhood. Children, when they're born, can, can have this sense of, I deserve this. And it's called our sinful nature. And we were all born with that. And so I see it in my beautiful boys. I'm trying to teach them as lovingly as possible. No, you do not deserve this. You deserve a lot worse. And I think we can break this by working with them and teaching them humility. Humility and we'll, we'll teach them to be grateful because you feel like, well, how can a kid from an inner city be standing up here in Doral? For, what would I have ever thought? How could he get here doing this? And you were just amazed. Thank you, God, for this opportunity. Thank you. It's this natural gratitude that comes from natural humility, from realizing your place on this planet, from realizing that, you know what, you're not the center of the universe, that God is God and that you are not. It's, we, and we can teach this to our next generation that this is important. And this is what generosity does. It helps us to be others-focused. It helps this generation. It helps your child. It, it helps them to learn to give. And they learn to put others first. And it shifts this selfishness bug out of them. All this mixes together with humility and gratitude to create fulfillment. Generosity is a big part of that. When my first child was born, Abdiel, Marie and I thought we had our hands full. We actually, we, we saw a book and we're like, this book was named after him, the strong-willed child. He was one of those handful, the teachers would tell us, wow, you have your hands full with him. And then we had our second one. And we were like, two strong-willed children? What is that about? And, and our, I remember Marie and I started laughing when the teacher came to us and said, wow, your child, he's, he's got such a strong will. He's such, such a strong character. And Maria and I are laughing like, she has no idea what's waiting for her with the second one. She has no idea what she's about to get. And so it's, it's pretty funny, but our second one is full throttle. He is full throttle, but I'll tell you what, he is super generous. He loves to share. He constantly is thinking about sharing. I, I've seen him want something really bad, really, really bad. I want something really bad, and all of a sudden, he'll just, what he really wants, he'll share it with someone else. And it surprises Marie and I both. We're like, what? How could you, you just wanted that really, you cried and stopped, your, and now you're going to give it to someone? That's interesting. And so that's what we do. We teach this next generation fulfillment, and we teach them generosity as an element of being, feeling fulfilled. And we teach them that it's all God's to be diligent at work, and that true fulfillment comes from God. And you know, one important piece of this whole thing of building a generous generation with the money stuff, the more that more is caught than taught. That second generation is always watching us. They never stop looking, us, looking at us. And I can remember sitting as a child in hand-me-down clothes at church in pews, watching my mom and dad as the offering plate would come by. They would write their check out every Sunday, and they would put, and I remember watching them doing it. Mom or dad would put that little check, folded check, right in the offering plate, and I would see them drop it, and not like, hey, everybody, watch mom and dad. We're putting our, no, it was just, this is what we do, and, and, and for us, it was like, 
okay, this is what we do. And so as parents and future parents and coaches and mentors, more is caught than taught. And all as you're teaching this next generation, all of what we're talked about, we've talked about today, this doesn't happen by accident. It happens with intentional conversations. It, it happens with, 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 with not just a one-time thing. It happens as, as every day in teachable moments. You're talking about this in the ebb and flow of life. And I believe handling them a little bit more responsibility, especially as the, the, the older they get, that they'll feel the weight of their own money decisions. And it kind of reminds reminds me of, of back home from my mom and dad growing up. There, there are two extremes of parenting sometimes. There's one that says, well, let's just leave little Randy in his little bubble, and I don't want you to see the outside world, and I, I just want to make every and any decision for you. Um, you know, I'll just make sure that with your life, I want to make sure you don't feel any pain, any harm, so we're going to just stay right here. And some of those kids, when they get to go to college, they become the craziest kids, and they, they go off the deep end because they were never allowed to make any decisions with their life. So when something comes up, they make the wrong decision because their decision-making muscle was never exercised. They never built that up. And then you have the other side of the parents, right, who are just like, you know, fly, little eight-year-old, fly, and, and be free, and just run around the restaurant screaming at the top of your lungs and banging all that silverware, and it's fine, don't worry, just keep doing that. And everybody else is like, please grab your child and teach them some discipline, right? And I'm so thankful that my parents, they left me a legacy, they put me in places where the Bible wasn't just, you know, put on a shelf or put on a coffee table. It was opened up, and it was taught to me, and it was put in places where the Bible became alive and real, and it became ingrained into my life, and I believe that they passed on to me a legacy of life versus a legacy of ending in nothing. The Bible talks about in the book of Deuteronomy. It says, today I have given you the choice between life and death between blessings and curses and curses now i call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make oh that you would choose life so that you and your descendants may live so i started off by telling you that we were that family but because of jesus intercepting our life and intercepting the life of my parents we were completely transformed and Jesus did that because he's crazy about me, he's crazy about my family, and he's crazy about you. He did that because he's crazy about every one of us here. You see, none of you are perfect parents. My parents were, and, and I'm not, Maria and I are not, my family, you know, we're not perfect. But the fact that Jesus came and he gave us this thing called grace, and you know what grace is? Grace is a do-over. You have a chance to do something that will be made to endure because of grace. Our family has been completely transformed. Our legacy has been completely changed, and yours can be as well. You see, we were that family, but because of Jesus, we became this family. 